I'm afraid I've been found out. I think y'all have uh, come to understand that I believe that the best way to have an amen corner is to raise one from birth. <laughs> I appreciate those of you who joined her in her amens this morning. Uh, that blessed me. It really did. This morning's verse and this morning's lesson is foundational, but it's in by no way common. As I read it, uh, I found myself very, very challenged. You see, uh, we're in the book of Exodus here, and the children of Israel had been in the land of Egypt for 400 years, and a lot of those years they had been in slavery. Their society had been defined for them by the Pharaoh and the laws of Egypt. But God had a different plan. In Exodus 19, we kind of get a glimpse of that plan. This is some background of this passage. And it reads like this, Then Moses went up to God and to the Lord, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites." That's Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were called the apodictic law, the divine law, or the absolute law. And then you have chapters 21 through 23, which is called the, the casuistic law. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a practical application of the Ten Commandments. But all these commandments had one purpose. These were to build a society of priests People who by their lives would bring people closer to God. In Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, it reads like this. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us when we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such a righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting for you before you today? God's saying that his law, that in his law, that the way we treat people is a reflection on him. And if we keep these laws, then people will be drawn to him. In chapter 23, it deals with a lot of things. It deals with debt slavery. It deals with murder. It deals with violent offenses and property rights, all the ways that we live in relationship with each other. And, and in the last chapter, chapter 23, it, I want to look at the specifics. It, this is, uh, this is a, a chapter that is dealing with justice and integrity. Verse 1 says, don't bear false witness. Verse 2 says, don't follow the crowd Uh, in the flow of injustice. Verse 3 says, don't show favoritism to the poor in a lawsuit. Verse 4 and 5 says, treat the donkey of a foe or a friend the same. Verse 6 says, don't deny the poor justice. Verse 7 says, don't put somebody to death wrongly. Verse 8 says, don't accept bribes to pervert the truth. And verse 9 says, do not oppress the foreigner, the sojourner, the resident alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. 
Israel had just come from Egypt. They understood what the word oppressed meant. Joseph and his family had moved there due to a famine, but they had gotten so great in numbers that the Pharaoh commanded that they be taken into slavery to work without choice for years and years and years. They were there approximately 16 generations. And the way this was worded, it sounded like that it was common knowledge as to what it meant to be oppressed, as to what it meant to be a sojourner. And, and I know that was true for the children of Israel, but, but I happen to believe that whatever God said to Israel, he's also saying to the church. And so I began to rack my brain as to a time in my life where I felt oppressed or a time in my life where I felt like a sojourner or like a resident alien. When I was a teenager, believe it or not, I was racially ambiguous, uh, which means nobody could tell what I was. And at the age of 13, I ran my first road race at a, at a college um, called Middle Georgia College. And, and it was a little three-mile road race. And, and, and I can remember coming up on the home stretch. And, and as I began to run down the home stretch, I could hear the cheers of friends and loved ones cheering on their, their person as they crossed that finish line. And as I began to, to, to get close to the finish line, I could hear the crowd too. But they were booing. And as I crossed the finish line, I crossed the finish line to boo, boo. I didn't know what was going on. The years were 1980 and 1981. The Iran hostage crisis was in full bloom. And I didn't know it, but there were absolutely, or there were evidently some, some Iranian students on campus. And because they didn't know me and I had the dark complexion and the dark hair, they just assumed that I was one. I felt like an alien. But it wasn't oppression like slavery. I can remember when I moved out to Tulsa, my first job there, it, it was kind of similar. Uh, the lady there looked at me and she outright said, what are you? And I went, excuse me? <laughs> I said, I'm the guy that they sent out here to, to help you take care of your husband. And, and she said, I know that. She said, what are you? And I said, I, I really don't understand what you're saying. She said, she said, where are you from? I said, oh, the accent. Georgia. And she goes, no, I, I understand that. Where are your people from? And I said, Georgia. <laughs> and she said, she said, no, 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 no. She said, the dark hair, the dark skin, what's up with that? And, um, and I said, oh, well, you know, I don't really know, but there's some family uh, folklore that says that we're part Indian. She dropped her head and never looked me in the eye again. You see, in Georgia, to be part Indian is one thing. But on the other side of the Trail of Tears, the Indian is not looked at very nicely. They were people of ridicule. I felt like an alien. Maybe a little oppressed, but it wasn't slavery. You know, and I think about when I found myself as a single man in a world full of adults that were married, and I sat alone at a, at a table to eat, I remember feeling like an alien, feeling like I didn't belong, but it wasn't slavery. And, and even as a high school student, as a Christian high school student, trying to live out my faith, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like a sojourner in the land, but I still had a choice. So it wasn't slavery. So I, I was sitting here going, God, I understand that this is supposed to be something that I get, but I don't really know what it's like to be in slavery. 
And then I remembered. Adam and Eve lived in the freedom of the garden, absolutely. They were cared for by God there. It was home. God's presence was, was the place that they resided. But they chose not to listen to God, and as a result, they found themselves not at home. They found themselves resident aliens, enslaved with the need to fend for themselves. Paul said it kind of like this. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Can anybody relate? You decide to go on a diet, and all of a sudden you find yourself at the refrigerator door with the Briar's ice cream in your hand. You decide you're not going to text and drive anymore, but all of a sudden you find yourself urgently, I got to do this. Or maybe it's something more insidious. Do you remember slavery? I think if we're all honest, we all do. Most of us still struggle with it. Some of us here have embraced Egypt and said, oh, well, it is what it is. Slavery is just what my lot is. Some of us can't bear to think about it or even talk about it anymore. Some of us here have determined to die in Egypt, but others of us have gotten a glimpse of the promised land. In Romans 8, 1, it says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This morning, you're probably coming to understand that I'm no stranger to slavery. I'm no stranger to sin. I understand the slavery of sin. As a young man, I struggled with the sin. The more I tried to escape, the worse it got. And when I say I tried to beat it, I went to extremes. I prayed on my knees all night long for many nights. I fasted more than 40 days on more than one occasion. I read the scripture from three to four hours a day. I avoided people and things that I thought contributed to my sin. And that had gone on for years and years and years. And then one night I remember a real pointed conversation I had with God as I held a knife and contemplated the scripture that said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, and if your hand offends you, cut it off. I remember being so frustrated. I remember crying out to God, God, I'm doing all this. What are you doing? And I remember God speaking to me in the way that he speaks to me and says, I'm waiting for you to quit. but I was angry. I was so angry because God had required something to me that I absolutely could not do. And, and the stakes were high. I was going to hell. I wanted it to be poof and be gone. But I felt like God said in the midst of it, trust the process. My grace is sufficient. Now this morning, I'm a man dependent on the grace of God for my righteousness. I know what I'm capable of, but in the process, God is transforming me. Let's talk about what the process looks like. The process looks like this, repenting, receiving grace, and getting back into fellowship with Christ. 
The scripture says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And in his presence, I'm set free from guilt and shame, and I will tell you I'm being changed. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that this could have been a sermon on how God uses immigration to spread the message. I know it could be a sermon on how uh, there are horrible things that happens to immigrants and sojourners and people of that nature. I know that it could have been a, a sermon on how we should respect everyone and value everyone, and all those things are true. I know it could have been a sermon on how the campus over here has 30 countries represented and how that's a wonderful opportunity for Pittman Park. I know it could have been a sermon on how there are socially disenfranchised people all around us and that we ought to reach out to them in love. All that is valid and all that is true. But here's what I feel like is more important. There's an enslaved world out there. People who feel like there's no choice and it's killing them. They are oppressed by slavery to sin and you know how it feels. Don't you? Don't you? I've told you my story. I don't know yours. But the truth of the matter is, is we all have one. Because after the fall, we all have that tendency on the inside of us to want to do it our way. And we've all wrestled with it. The question is... As we begin to understand that we live in a, in a world that is enslaved with sin, can we let them die in hopelessness? Can we turn a blind eye? Can we sit next to them on a pew every Sunday and go, I'm okay, you're okay? Can we look across the, the campus and, and see things that are killing folks and go, oh, bless their hearts, and just move on? Can we talk to them in the, in the grocery store and just smile and go on knowing, knowing what they're going through? 2 Corinthians 1 reads like this, Praise be to the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Are you sitting here this morning having received comfort from God? Do you feel your sins forgiven? Have you found freedom? Are you feeling like God's working in your life? Does God encourage you on a daily basis? Does he lift you up? Does he, do, do the people of God encourage you? And when you come to church, does the, the music that you sing lift your eyes? Are you a beneficiary of what God has done for you and, and the comfort that he shares? This is what I want to say this morning. I become complicit, though, in oppression when I know where to find comfort and I don't share it. The scripture says you shall not oppress a, re a resident alien. You know the heart of an alien for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. So let compassion, let empathy drive you to reach out to those who are oppressed. Those that are sitting next to you that are oppressed. Those who are in the grocery store that are oppressed. Those who are in foreign lands or in your workplace that are oppressed, absolutely. But let's not forget our friends and family. Now I'm aware that within the sound of my voice that there are people who feel doomed to slavery forever. You've tried and you've tried and you've failed and you've failed. And, and education has a, a, a word for this. It's called learn helplessness. 
And some of you have tried and you've tried so many times, you feel like it's just going to be this way. I want you to hear the good news this morning. The good news is that God calls us to repent and live in connection with him. But he alone changes a heart. Be patient. Let God be God. Don't quit quitting. And don't quit reconnecting. And know this, that those who are in Christ have no condemnation. I want you to hear this in Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that the work is not yours. The work is his. All we need to do is repent, connect, and stay in his presence. And in Christ, there's no condemnation, but also In Christ is everything that we need for life and godliness. In Christ is our transformation. In Christ is our sanctification. In Christ is our freedom.